Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. be seated this morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. For several years, I worked for a man in the oil field. And every time the season would turn to this and the weather would turn to this, he would show up at work. And he'd always have a smile in his eyes and he would say, this is the time of year that my neck begins to swell. Some of you might understand that, some of you might not, but every time I think about the cool weather, the rainy weather, I just remember that old friend always saying, this is the time of year that guys' necks begin to swell. So, glad you're here this morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and when you come in, hopefully you get one of those bulletins. On the back of that, there'll be some notes to guide our time to the Word this morning. Thank you. Greg and those that serve with you and leading us in worship, and I don't say it often enough, but thank you, Mark, um, for doing what you do and hitting record. I am so grateful for you, brother, and uh, just letting us do what we do together on a Sunday morning. Because of the events of the last several years, um, some time ago, we as a church put together a safety team, a group of individuals that have gathered together to um, just... Have a, have a plan, have a response, have something that they can do in the time of a threat, a time of a danger, a time of an event where the safety of the church and the safety of the people might be necessary. And so there's this group of people um, that uh, have gathered together and are going through a, a series of trainings and going through a series of educations. And just this last summer, there was a, a period of time where this group was going through a, a, a series of firearm drills. One of the exercises going through that uh, scenario was is the instructor set up a uh, multitude of targets. Some of the targets were friendly, some of the targets were foes. And, the, and, and the, the challenge was is that as the person responding, you were supposed to be able to address and respond to the threat and be able to distinguish between the good guys and the bad guys. And it was timed and it was scored and it was the idea that as you're going through that, um, in any given situation, you're going to have to be able to quickly identify the target. What is the target of the church. We might think about this time of the year and you might be a hunter and you might get out in the, the you might get a field and you might get up in the stand and you have a particular target in mind. You might be heading to the store and you are going to do some shopping. And if you're like me, I like to have a list because if I go in there without a list, I walk out with a bunch of things that I didn't mean to get when I walked in. It helps to have a target. It helps if you are leaving and you're going in a destination to know where you're at and where you are headed. Even when it comes to a vocation, it's nice to know these are the expectations and these are the standards. And this is the objective for which I am employed. What is the target of the church? 
Is the target of the church to just simply have a Sunday morning church service? Is the target of the church simply to entertain or to satisfy the whims or the desires of the people? What is the target of the church? And how would we know or how do we know if we are reaching the target? The gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark has been revealing who Jesus is. And he's been showing us different scenes and different pictures about who Jesus is. And he's been showing us in different different stories and in different elements. And whether he's at the synagogue and he's casting out the the, the demon and the demon-oppressed man, or whether he's at Peter Simon's home and he's healing the mother-in-law, or whether he is by the sea, or whether the leper, or whether, the as we saw last week, the paralytic in the home, regardless of what it is, Mark is showing us in different layers and in different scenes who Jesus is. This morning in Mark chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 13 down through verse 17, Mark is giving us another picture of who Jesus is. And by doing so, he's going to say, this is Jesus' target. And I submit to us this morning that if we're going to identify a target that the church is moving towards, what better target could we have than the same target of Jesus Christ. But the question is, is what was the target of Jesus Christ? What was the point of his ministry? What was the goal of his ministry? What was the target that he was aiming towards? So here in this text, we're going to break it up in verse 13 and 14 and then 15 through 17. And we're going to look at the different ways that Jesus shows us how he discerned the target, if you will. So in Mark chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 13. I'll read aloud if you will follow along in your copy of God's Word. And let's just see how Mark identifies, shows us, and then points us to how Jesus pursued the target. It says in verse 13, Mark is writing and he says, He, talking about Jesus Christ, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them and he passed by. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. The first step that Mark points us to is asking the question, or maybe even answering the question, who Jesus came to. Or I put there in your notes, who he came to. Two, one of the things in trying to identify and discerning what is the target of the church today and even what is the target of the church back in Jesus' time is who he came to. Now, if you look at the text up in verse 13, it said that all of the crowd was coming to him. Jesus is up around his home base there in Capernaum, around the Sea of Galilee. And so he's walking by the sea somewhere in the region of the Sea of Galilee. And he's walking by, he said, all of the crowds were coming to him. All of the people were coming to him. But was Jesus going to all of the people? Well, yes, but also no. Because you notice there in the text, in verse 14, it says, And as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw Levi. Now, who is Levi? Well, in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke, those parallel passages describe this gentleman as being 
Levi. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, it's the same person. But in the Gospel of Matthew, the word Matthew is used to describe the person. Now, some people may say, all right, Spence, why is there a difference? Well, some people have speculated that Levi was his before Christ name and Matthew was his after Christ name. Some people have speculated that one was a Greek and one was a Gentile name. Some people have speculated that he took on a different name post his conversion. And so, therefore, because Matthew in the story is the author of the Gospel of Matthew, then he can call himself whatever he wants to. At the end of the day, it's the same person. Whether it's Matthew, Mark, or Luke, it's the exact same person. So you may say, okay, so who is then Levi? We can use the word used here, the name used here in the text. Who is this Levi? Well, it identifies. He says that he was sitting in a tax booth. Now, many of you will be familiar with, but some of you may not, and I don't want to pass you by, but what does it mean to be a tax collector in that day? Well, the Jews were held in that region, and during that time, they were held under the authority of the Roman government. And the Jews could not stand the idea that they were subjugated under the Roman government. They despised it. They couldn't stand it. They, they, they didn't want to have anything to do with it, but they didn't have the military might. And they didn't have the military means to then cast off the authority and the oppression put upon them. And the Romans understood that they had a group of people that didn't like them very much, but they were under their authority nonetheless. And so what the Romans did is a way to raise, uh, raise the means to fund the government, they imposed taxes. But they also understood that if you take a Roman to try to take taxes from a Jew, there would be problems with knowing who Jews, which Jews needed to pay, which Jews had paid, and there was just a lot of confusion. So what the Romans would do is they would find a Jew who was willing to betray his people, maybe a way to say it. He'd be willing to betray his people and to work on the behalf of the Roman government to then tax and raise taxes from his very own ethnic people. So what that means is, is that if you are a Jew working in a tax collector booth, that means you're a tax collector, which means you are worse than a dog. You are now some of one of their own working for the enemy, working for the bad guys. And so it wasn't that you were a shepherd. That was a low income, low class of people. Oh, no, a tax collector wasn't even a shepherd. You may say, well, maybe they were a fisherman. Oh, no, that was another lower class of people held in the society of the Jewish culture. No, 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 you you weren't even a fisherman. You weren't even a shepherd. You were below them. You were even worse. And in, in the oil field, you always had the ranking of the people. And usually the guy at the bottom of the rung was called a worm. But then I was always taught that before a worm, even lower than that, you have a ginzel. So if you wanted to insult somebody on a drilling rig and they, you didn't think worm was insulting enough, you would call him a ginzel. And that was saying, even lower than a worm, you're even lower than that. So when Jesus, <clears throat> when Jesus then passes by in verse 14 and it says, and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Now, as Mark is writing this, and if you're somebody in that con in that context in that culture and you're reading that you're like okay what's the big deal jesus is walking down there all these people are coming to jesus and jesus walks by sees a tax collector well what would have happened well jesus would have walked right by jesus would have turned up his nose jesus would have said you need more of jesus he, whatever it might have been but what happens the last part of last part of verse 14 
Mark writes, and he said to him, follow me. So who is it that Mark is identifying that Jesus was coming to? People were coming to Jesus, but Jesus went to Levi. You see this here in the text. It wasn't the fact that all the people were coming to Jesus and Levi left his tax booth and decided to come and see what was going on. That's the story you get out of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, when he heard that Jesus was coming, he went to Jesus. But here in the story, who is Jesus coming to? All the people were coming to Jesus, and yet Jesus went to Levi. Why did he go to Levi? Did Jesus need Levi? Did he need somebody to write the Beatitudes? Did he need somebody to do his mathematician work for him? Did he need somebody because he was trying to do some affirmative action and he needed to fill out the rest of the people and the rest of the qualifications and make sure he had all the boxes checked? Was it, was it one of those things that he was needing somebody with that type of skill set? No, no, no. Jesus did not need Levi. Levi needed Jesus. And I think that's a tremendous distinction when we think about who Jesus came to. Who he came to. He went. He is coming. He has come to those that need him. So that leads to the question. Well, then who needs Jesus? Well, Spence... Isn't that obvious? Everybody needs Jesus. No, 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 no. More specifically than that. Let's get more specific than that. Who needs Jesus? Yes, everyone needs Jesus. But does that mean the people you like? Yes. Does that mean the people you don't like? Yes. Does that mean the people that have, that, that have done horrendous, tragic events? Yes. Does that mean the people that are the abusers and the predators? And that mean the people that are taking advantage of the people? Yes. Does that mean the sweets and the innocents and the helpless and the victims? Yes. Does that mean that every person created in the image of God, they need Jesus? Yes. You mean Jesus came to those that needed him? Yes. So how do we know who those are that need him? Well, you could go to places like 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and there you will find over and over passages that say that anybody that chooses to believe upon Jesus will be saved. It's the idea that when Christ came, he knew that all of creation needed him. More importantly than that, it was those that needed Jesus are the ones that he came for. You know, sometimes it's easy for me to think that Christ came for a certain group of people. Maybe they're married. Maybe they have kids. Maybe they grew up in the 356. Maybe they are an OSU fan versus an OU fan. Maybe they drive a Chevy versus drive a Ford. I, I start to think and I start to try to divide people out and try to say, well, you know what, I'm sure he came for those people and I will go to those people and I will be friendly to those people and I will uh, reach out to those people, but I'm sure he didn't come for those people and so I'm not going to worry about those people. You see, it's easy for you and I to start dividing people up based upon who we like or who we are comfortable with or who we are familiar with and we forget that Christ came for all people. And church, sometimes we forget that our target 
It's not people that look like us and talk like us and act like us. The target of the church is the entire community around us. Because the target of the church is every single person around us. And it's easy for us to look and to say, well, they don't look like us and they don't don't talk like us. They, They don't smell like us and they don't act like us and all of these things. And we can forget that it's not a matter of you and I deciding who Jesus came for. It's a matter of Jesus saying, this is who I came for. So here in the text, Mark is saying that this person, this Levi, this tax collector, he was the worst of the worst. He was the most despised. He was the most despicable. He was someone that no one would want to be caught dead with. And those are the people that Jesus came to. So sometimes you and I might need to ask ourselves the question, who are we going to? It's easy to go to the people that you enjoy. It's easy to go to the people that are familiar with. It's easy to go to the people that you have something connection with. One of the temptations that I have, if I come to your house, I can come into your house and we can sit there and we can have a phenomenal conversation for 30, 45 minutes, even an hour, and we can never talk about the things of God. We can talk about stories and we can talk about commonalities and we can talk about hobbies and we can talk about things that we enjoy. We can talk about kids and we can talk about family life. We can talk about social life. We can spend a lot of time and we never talk about Jesus. Richard Baxter was a pastor and he served some centuries ago during the Puritan era. And it is in his biography that he identifies that his daily or his yearly habit was all of the different families in the church. He would make sure that he went to every family's house at least once a year. And when he would come in, it wouldn't be to ask you how's the weather, how's the family, how's work going. He would come in and he would ask you questions about your spiritual walk. He would ask you questions about your spiritual health. He would ask you questions about how you're being faithful and obedient to God. Then he would sit down and he would ask for you to bring your kids in the room and he would quiz them and he would question your kids about the problem and the efforts you were making to catechize your children. What does it mean to catechize? Catechize is just something an oral instruction, especially religiously based. Is the idea that parents were to be teaching illiterate children. They could still teach them spiritual truths. So Richard Baxter would go into a home and when he showed up, he would knock on the door and he said, Here I am to visit with you in a pastoral way. But he wouldn't come in and it wouldn't be all just highs and smiles and happiness. He would say, Are you healthy? Are you loving Jesus? Are you serving Jesus? Are you being faithful to Jesus? Are you leading your family well? Those are the questions he would ask. Why? Because he knew that was the target of him as a pastor. How easy is it for you or me to get our eyes off and we think our target as an individual is just to invite people to church? Or our idea of what it means to be a faithful in a Christian life is just to invite people that look like us or talk like us. When it comes to the target of the church, we're reminded the target of Jesus was anyone and everyone. Everyone that God had created. So Mark says, look at who he came to. But then Mark goes on in verse 15 and he says, he shows us the second step of why he came to. 
who he came to, and then why he came to. And so in verse 15, Mark continues the story. And if you have not been scandalized enough, and if you have not said, oh my gracious, how in the world could he? He goes to a tax collector and he says, come and follow me. And this guy actually gets up and follows Jesus. Now you might think in the story, the next page is going to be that Jesus is going to then dress him down and tear him down and publicly humiliate him and make him go and do all the things to repent and to publicly prostrate himself before the community. But what does Jesus do? Verse 15. And as he reclined at the table, at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, What does he eat? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Mark shows us the first target of Jesus is people that need Jesus. And the second thing Mark does is explain to us why did he come. The last part down there in verse 17, he says, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. We're going to come back to that. But the whole point of why Jesus came was to call sinners. Now, how was he living this out? Well, it says back up there in verse 10, as he reclined at table in his house. Now, the majority of people think that he is in Levi's house. He is in Levi's house. And some people, I was always taught in Sunday school that he is sitting there in Levi's house and everybody in the room is tax collectors and fellow co-workers of Levi. But there's more people in the room than that. If you look there, what the text says, it says, That he was with tax collectors reclining at the table with Jesus and his disciples. But there's another class of people. Tax collectors and sinners. And that might not strike you as odd, but I always wondered to myself, why did Mark include that? He said that Jesus was reclining at table with tax collectors and sinners. Isn't that redundant? Isn't that just saying the same thing twice? Well, if you're a Jew and if you're in that culture, you would understand what he was trying to say. He was saying these dirty dog tax collectors and then the sinners were not just everyone else. The sinners was also a classification of those that were in rebellion against God, those that were not faithful in the synagogue, those that were not pursuing the things of the law of God. It was like he was saying the worst of the worst. Jesus and his disciples are sitting there with the worst of the worst. Why? Well, I submit to you this morning, it wasn't because it was a meal, but because it was an opportunity. In fact, it says there in verse 16 that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, but the focus of the story is not the meal or not what they were eating. The focus of the story is that he was in proximity, that he was there spending time with them. Additionally, it was not their profession, but their condition. He wasn't there in the room because they were tax collectors. He wasn't there in the room because they had the title of sinners. He was there in the room because they needed Jesus. He was there in the room not because of their vocation. He was there in the room because of their spiritual destination. He was there because he knew that in that moment there were people that needed a right relationship with God. I struggle with this. Because for some of you, whenever I've met you for the first time, one of the first questions that I'll ask you is, what do you do for a living? 
And maybe you don't struggle with this, but I struggle mighty with this. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. The greatest question I can ask you is, do you have a right relationship with Jesus? That's the greatest question I can ask you. And the idea that sometimes we get conditioned by this world when we meet people. I say, hi, my name is Spence. And you say, hi, my name is Jim Bob. And then we say, blah, 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 blah. Well, what do you do for a living, Jim Bob? And it's like, da, 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 da. And then the conversation goes that way. Where did we get this idea that it is about your profession and not about your spiritual condition? How many opportunities have I missed because I didn't cut straight to the most important thing? Do you know Jesus and are you following him? See, it wasn't about their profession. It was about their condition. So as Jesus is sitting there, he says in verse 16, he was sitting there, the scribes of the Pharisees, these are the religious type. These are the snooty type. These are the ones that haven't missed Sunday school in 25 years. These are the ones that knew their Bible frontwards and backwards. These are the ones that had all the memory verses memorized. These are the Timothy Awards and Awanas, okay? These are the cream of the cream if you think about it in church standards. So you have these individuals sitting there and they're just bewildered. They are shocked. They are dismayed. They don't understand. Jesus, you are supposed to be the Messiah. You are supposed to be prim. You're supposed to be proper. You're supposed to be other. You're supposed to have a certain amount of stateliness to you. How in the world could you sit there and associate with those dirty people? Because Jesus knew it wasn't about opinions. It was about souls. So they say there in verse 16, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They do not understand. Why is he doing what he was doing? And then Jesus answers in verse 17, it's not about your opinion. It's not about what you think about them from the outside. My concern is the condition of their soul. He knew that it was not about the saved or the ones that knew God or knew what it meant to have a right relationship with God. It was about lost people. The target of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, was not those that are saved, but those that are lost. He knew those that went to the synagogue, that obeyed God, that kept the law, that did everything. He knew they were pursuing after God, but he was worried about the people, the outcast, the forgotten, the ignored, the marginal. He was worried about the lost. So where does that leave you and I? And the targets that we have in front of us. I wonder if we consider more the lost people around us or the people we feel most comfortable with. He says there in verse 17, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Just kind of cut this down, if you will, synthesize it, boil it down. It's, I came to call sinners. Now think about that idea of call and what that word call means. It means to proclaim. It means to entreat. It means to invite. It means to offer. It's that Jesus said, I am coming to lost people to invite them to believe in me. There was a proclamation. There was an intentionality. There was a message. There was something they were trying to say. There was an intentionality about saying, why we have an opportunity to speak to you, we are going to share the gospel with you. But it wasn't just a call. 
It was to call sinners, the lost, the separated, the condemned. And what is he doing? He's calling them to a response. Last night was supposed to be the fall festival. We didn't have it. The city canceled the, uh, the town, canceled the, the trunk retreat. And I'm really, really grateful that that was canceled um, last night because it, it would just been miserable to uh, be out and about. They rescheduled it for Tuesday. We need help if we're going to be able to facilitate that on Tuesday. Right after the service, Miss Denise, that's going to be right over here. If you can help, I realize it's a Tuesday night, and I realize it's a school night, and I realize it's a work night, and I realize that if you want, you have a thousand excuses why not to. But if you can help, we really need to know how we can pivot, how we can retool, and how we can, if possible, put on an event here. Why? Because we have got hundreds, potentially in the past, hundreds of young people, parents, Grandparents, people, hundreds of people that can potentially come down the street, come through these doors, and we have an opportunity not to say, hi, here I am, here's a piece of candy, but we have an opportunity to say, hi, here I am, do you know Jesus? That's an opportunity. Now, do we always seize that opportunity the way that we want to or the way we like to? That's always a moving target. And that's always something that we can improve upon. But it's the idea, and I heard this many years ago from a guy named Matt Rains. He said, you can't clean a fish until you catch it. And it's that idea that you've got to be around lost people. You've got to be talking to lost people. You've got to be engaging lost people. How are you going to call sinners to repentance if you're not talking to sinners? So if you can help us on Tuesday night, please get with Denise and see how we can be of service to this community on Tuesday night. So it says there in Mark chapter 2, Mark is saying, here is the target of Jesus. He came to Levi. He came to the sinners. Why? Because they needed to be saved. So then what then is the message for the church? All right, Spence. So what does that mean for you and I here Today, first thing I would encourage us with or exhort us to is to remember that our target is not the found, but the lost. Now let me qualify this before you just run off and go to assumptions. Our target is not the found, but the lost. One of the mission statements of this church is to reach the lost and disciple the found. What does that mean? Does that mean that once you're saved, you get put over here in the pile and we don't care anything more about you? No, that's called discipleship. And that's why we have Sunday school, to help people learn about Jesus and learn about the Bible. That's why we do what we do on Sunday nights. That's why we do what we do on Wednesday nights. That's why we have individual Bible studies throughout the week. That's why we do what we do even right now, to teach God's Word, to help apply God's Word, to help people understand God's word. It's not about that once you get saved or once you get found, you are now not important to the church. However, you go back to Matthew chapter 28, and what did he say? He says, I want you to go reach the lost first, and then once you reach the lost, then you disciple the found. There's an order that comes, and sometimes it is the temptation of the church to be more focused on the people inside and not to be aware of the people outside. To put it another way, about this time on the calendar, in 1999, I was coming home from Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Three days after I graduated high school, I got on a bus 
in Oklahoma City, went to the airport, flew to Springfield, Missouri, got on another bus, went from Springfield, Missouri to Fort Lost in the Woods, Missouri. Why? Because they needed me on the front lines in 1999? No. Because they understood that the mission of the military was to protect and defend the United States. And they understood that the way that they could most effectively do that is to train and to equip and to mobilize those individuals that were serving those capacities. So they took me and all of my maturity and all of my wisdom and all of my knowledge and all of my talents and abilities and they took me and they took me up there and they went through all this training so that when they needed me, I would be ready. That's why we come to church. We come to church to be equipped. We come to church to be prepared. We come to church to be encouraged. We come to church to be trained. We come to church to be excited. We come to church to be supported. We come to church so that we can make ready to go out here because we understand the target of this church is not here. The target of this church is out there. So you come in here to get ready to engage the target out there. So you mean my goal as a Christian is not just to come to church and sit and soak. No! Your job as a Christian, your target as a Christian, your mission as a Christian is to come in here to get resupplied, to get bandaged up, to get supported and encouraged, and then to go out there and engage darkness with the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. So why do you come here? You don't come here because this is your final mission or your final target. You come here so that you can be better prepared to go out there. But how many times do we just call the target Sunday morning church attendance? Sunday morning church attendance is good. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. But this is not all there is to the Christian life. Why you say that, Spence? Because there are hundreds and hundreds of people right outside these doors in this community that need Jesus. And Jesus has put us here to go after them. So it's a matter of Understanding that our target primarily is not the found, but the lost. Secondly, when we think about what kind of a message this is for the church, it reminds us that it's not a matter of if, but who is going to them. It's not a matter of if, but who is going to them. Here, here a while back, I was on the campus of God's University up there in Stillwater. And right there on the, the south side of the campus, there is all the fraternities and the sororities. And, and walking down the street where all the fraternities and the sororities were at, there was a building. And on the door of the building, it said the Institute of Religion. And I saw that written on the door and I found myself going, I thought, I thought to myself, what in the world is the Institute of Religion? And I turned around to ask two of my children, two of my sweet, innocent boys, and they were so consumed with the environment of skinny neck land. They weren't paying attention. And so I turned back and looked at the door, and I'm thinking, Institute of Religion. And then I looked down and kind of towards, kind of hidden, kind of really subtle, it just says, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, they won't even say Mormon anymore. They won't even say an occult even more. 
They won't even say pagan worshipers anymore. They, they, they won't say people that, don't, that deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They won't say that. Institute of Religion, Jesus, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Stones throw away from a hub of young adults, both male and female. It's not a matter of if this world is going to go after them. It's a matter of who is going to go after them. And church, you and I can sit back and say, well, you know what, Spence? Our doors are open every single Sunday. Oh, Spence, we put our services on Facebook. Oh, oh, Spence, oh, Spence, we put flyers up in the community. Oh, Spence, we've done our job. No. Why is it that false teachers and fake religions are putting out more time and energy to reach the lost than we are? Why is it that liars are more active than truth tellers? Why is it that you and I are comfortable with sitting back, waiting for the lost to come to us, when every example we have from Scripture is Jesus going to them? It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of who is going to them. And then this last one, and I'm done. <clears throat> the results are by design. The results are by design. What do you mean, Spence? I heard Kevin Burkhart, who's now the pastor at First Southern Baptist Church, Dale City. I remember hearing him many years ago at a men's retreat say the system is perfectly designed to get the results that they're getting. It's the idea that if you look at the production, you understand that is a product of the system. So if we have soft, uneducated, weak, apathetic, complacent, professing Christians in the church, it's because the culture of the church today is designed to produce weak, uneducated apathetic, complacent, professing followers of Jesus. So we need to ask ourselves the question. Is there something that we need to address in the design and the methodology of this church to address the reality that the greatest majority of this church hasn't brought a visitor or a lost person to church with them in over a month? Is it a need to look back and to ask the question of the people that attend here? How many people have had an intentional conversation with a lost person this past week? Or maybe three questions at the bottom. I am praying for to be saved. I am praying for to repent. I invited to church today. Maybe we as a church should ask ourselves a question. If we have more blank spaces in this sanctuary than we have filled in spaces, what does that say about the practice and the procedures and the methodologies of this church? Maybe this morning, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we aiming for the target of Jesus? Are we pursuing the target of Christ?
or have we settled for targets far away from the mission that God has given us? Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org, please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.